Well, we can turn back to the passage you read there, uh, Luke 24. We can think about verses 33 uh, to 43. As Jesus appeared in the upper room uh, to his disciples. So, um, last week, that uh, two who lived in Emmaus, uh, whoever they were, whether it was Clophus and his wife, or Clophus and his brother, um, or just a couple of friends, they were trudging from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Um, life had collapsed. And they thought that, well, everything was finished. And what's the point, really, of going on? And as we know, the answer to that outlook was that uh, Jesus was still alive. Or we should actually say he had come alive because there obviously is a difference between what he was on this resurrection day than he had been prior to then. He was able to do things that he hadn't done before. Astonishing things, like just appearing beside them as they walked along the road. And also just to disappear as he's sitting at a table. One second he's sitting there, the next second he's gone. And we're not told where he went or how long it took him to get there. I mean, it is the case that the Two from Emmaus, they got to the room in Jerusalem before Jesus did. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus didn't do anything in between his leaving them at Emmaus and appearing again in Jerusalem. We're just not told what he did. He could have met others because he's no longer bound by the normal methods of travel. The two from Emmaus, they went back to Jerusalem far quicker than they had left it because they had something exciting to say. They had 
heard, as they told uh, Jesus before he revealed himself, uh, they had heard that some women had met angels and seen a vision of angels and so on, said he was alive, but they hadn't believed it. But having seen him himself, well, they had a story to share, didn't they? And, of course, they wanted to share it. They had said to him, when they reached their house, it is late. Come in. We don't know how long he was in the house for, but whatever the length of time was, it was still late when he left. But they didn't regard the lateness of the day as a reason not to go to encourage their fellow disciples, who they imagined would be downcast and needing a word of comfort. And of course, that is quite challenging, isn't it? I mean, quite often, we use the words as too late as a reason for not doing something. But maybe we sense a burden to do. So these two made their way back the seven miles to Jerusalem, imagining they had this Wonderful news to share. Well, they didn't imagine that. They had this wonderful news to share. But they imagined that their friends needed to hear it. And, of course, when they got there, they discovered that the people in Jerusalem had their own story to tell. When they said to them, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Something very sad about uh, verse um, 33. I think this is the first time they're referred to as the 11. Up until now, they had been the 12. But sadly, Judas is no longer there. And we also know from other gospel accounts, the Apostle John, that Thomas is not here either. That he had ref refused to come to this meeting. But anyway, this is their new name, the Eleven. Whether the Eleven are all there, that's what they're known as the 11. And they had this wonderful statement. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Maybe Jesus did that after he had been to Emmaus. Or maybe he had done it before he had been to Emmaus. 
We don't know. But Simon had come to this gathering in this whatever they were and told them that Jesus had appeared to him. A wonderful meeting for Peter. I want us to um, think about it for a short time. The compassion of Jesus for Peter. And then after that, I want us to think a little bit, a little bit about what Jesus said to the disciples as a group. Peace to you. What did he mean by that? And perhaps we could also ask, what did he do by that? Because his words are never just merely words. And then, thirdly, the invitation that he gives to them. Handle me and see. So is compassion for Peter. We know that um, Peter had a special place in the heart of Christ. He had a special place in the experiences they had undergone when he was with Jesus. And of course, when it came to um, anything he did, he did it with great exuberance. So when he came to deny Jesus, it wasn't just a simple, I never met him. But he went out of his way to ensure that everybody knew with certainty that he had never had anything to do with Jesus. Which, of course, was untrue. But anyway, he did it with great vehemence. And yet, despite that, um, the angel said to the woman, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's alive. You could almost say that heaven cared more for the one who had sinned the most, which is quite extraordinary. So it was a great privilege for Peter to be given this personal meeting with Jesus. Of course, his sin was such, he also had to have a public restoration. Uh, which happened later on when at the Sea of Galilee he um, was asked three times beside the charcoal fire do you love me? he had denied three times beside a charcoal fire but there he was publicly restored and that date was in the Savior's diary. But the heart of Jesus didn't want to wait till that, that date. 
It didn't even want to wait until this evening meeting that his disciples knew nothing about beforehand. He just went and met Peter. He knew where Peter was. He knew where Peter was physically, and he knew where Peter was internally. He knew that Peter had rushed to the empty tomb to see if he could get any help there after he had heard the woman give, give their information that the tomb was empty. Peter had gone there and all he saw was an empty tomb. He had heard about the woman's experiences, but these things didn't persuade him. After all, there are other possible explanations. The woman could just have imagined it. The empty tomb. Well, the authorities could have moved the body. Until he has contact with Jesus, other options are possible. And there, Jesus just appeared. He didn't knock on the door when he came to the house in Jerusalem. So he probably didn't knock at the door when he came to where Peter was either. Just appeared. He appeared to disconsolate Peter. And Peter there, no doubt, when he met the risen Christ, he would be ashamed and sorrowful. And no doubt, as he did on every other occasion, uh, words just kept tumbling out. And he may have been very graphic in his, uh, his self-description of what he felt. And of course, it was good for him to be ashamed because sin is an awful thing and we should be ashamed of sin. Sin is unhuman as well as ungodly. And we should be ashamed and no doubt he was sorrowful, full of regrets. But it wouldn't have done him much good if Jesus hadn't appeared, would it? What's the point of being ashamed if the person 
who you know and you love doesn't know you're ashamed. From Peter's point of view, I mean. And since Jesus is not there, from Peter's point of view, how can he say how sorry he is? But then Jesus just appears. There's lessons in that, isn't there? Where's the best place to be ashamed of our sin? Where's the best place to be sorrowful for our sins? It's in the presence of Jesus. It could even be said, if we haven't gone there with our sins and whatever shame we feel, and whatever sorrow we feel, if we haven't gone to Jesus with them, we haven't gone anywhere. And as we, as Peter would have looked at Jesus, and whatever Jesus said to him, he would have grasped the reality of pardon, the sweetness of divine mercy. Repentance is a blessing. It's not a, or it shouldn't be, a reluctant confession of a self-righteous individual. Instead, it's the expression of a broken heart, aware of sinning against divine grace. Maybe Peter, who knows what came to his mind, Maybe Psalm 103. Lord our God is merciful and he is gracious. Whatever it was that came to his mind, he had a felt sense of pardon. Is that not what we need? A felt awareness that we've been in contact with the living God. That we sense restoration. For all we know, Peter might have had no intention of going to this meeting if Jesus hadn't met him. We don't know, do we? But there he was, 
in the presence of Jesus. And when this couple from Emmaus, when they saw their friend Peter, they saw a different Peter. And that reminds us, doesn't it, that what makes a big difference in what people see in us is what we've to do with the amount of time we spend in the presence of Jesus. If others want to see a different us, or if we want them to see a different us, we have to spend time with Christ and not in substitutes. And there's lots of substitutes, good substitutes. But Peter would say to us, meet with Christ. Take time to do so. Peter would say to us, now we can meet him at any time by the Holy Spirit. And we can go into his presence and just say to him Lord I've sinned I've sinned against you be merciful to me a sinner have we done that today I don't mean that we have some kind of prayer. But have we actually gone into the presence of Christ and just had our own personal dealing with him? If we have, others will see the difference. even as this couple saw a different Peter. So there they are, according to verse 38, after the people in the room have given their news, the two from Emmaus, there in verse 35, they give their news. I mean, it's good to try and imagine this, isn't it? Peter, I saw Jesus. These two from Emmaus, we saw Jesus. What about the others in the room? Because not just the 11 are there. Because we're told there in verse 33, there's those who were with them. For all we know, it might be the same number that later appeared in, on the day of Pentecost. Because it's probably the same room, actually. 120 wherever they were. I wonder what they all thought as they heard these two reports. 
reports of a fresh encounter with the risen Christ. And as they're talking about him, he just appears. There, physically, as they were talking about these things, and it's, it's, it's nice the way Luke phrases it. He could have said, <clears throat> as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them. I mean, that would be accurate. But it's not what he says. He says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And the word himself, of course, it tells us, doesn't it, there's only one Jesus. There's only one Jesus that they wanted to see. And there he is, Jesus himself, stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Of course, in, the, in Palestine, in Israel, it was the daily greeting. Shalom. But Peter or the others, when they met each other, could only say shalom. They couldn't say peace to you. Or if they did, they couldn't convey what they were saying. For somebody to say peace to you indicates he is Giving the peace. Jesus is not saying to them, I wish you had some peace. Or is he saying to them, There's peace here, but take it or leave it? He's saying to them, Peace to you. Here's the Prince of Peace coming to announce that he has peace for those who are totally confused. These disciples, what a mess they have made of their spiritual lives. It wasn't the fact that Jesus died that made them confused. It was the fact that they hadn't listened to what he had said would happen to him that made them confused. And to those who had not listened to him, indeed disagreed with him about his death and resurrection, to them he has this marvelous message of peace to you. lots of things to say about his peace after all he had purchased it, purchased it for them and if you've bought something for somebody 
Why hold on to it? Why not give it to them as soon as you can? And here he is, we might say, with his purchase present, his gift, just giving it to them there and then. We see something, don't we? And the eagerness of Jesus for these confused disciples to have peace. Didn't enter his mind that they should be left to squirm for a few more days. Just peace. He bought it on the cross. He paid the penalty for them to have it. Their sins... The source of their dispeace, he had paid the penalty, the price that was demanded. And now he had the gift of peace for them. And saying this statement to them, peace to you, is he not assuring them that they're forgiven? I mean, they know who he is. He's the God of heaven. And if the God of heaven announces peace to you and he announces it to you when you're fully aware that you have sinned against him, well, it doesn't take a high IQ to work out that pardon has been offered. It's not just pardon being offered. Pardon has been bestowed. And in this statement that he's making to them, he's telling them that he doesn't hold it against them. Not just in the sense of having some kind of uh, personal uh, mistake, but in the books of heaven, there's no record of their sin. Pardon, forgiven, peace. And it's for all of them, but it's also for each of them. They don't have to look around wondering if the others have got it. All they have to say to themselves is, well, he has said it to each of us. Therefore, all of us must have it. Don't need to worry about the others anymore. Are they spiritually restored? But they weren't worried that, of course, were they? But Peter there, maybe he had said to himself, it would be good if the rest of them had the experience that I had. Well, there they are having it. Jesus gave it to them, to all of them, didn't leave any of them out. And they can all, or they should have, we know they didn't initially, they should have said, this is wonderful. And of course the peace he's giving to them is 
Well, when will it end, this peace that he's giving to them? Is this a trickle from heaven? Is the tap going to be turned off? Is this just a little bit and then nothing until they leave this world? Or is this their future? When we turn to Paul's letters and Peter's letters, how do they begin? Grace to you and peace. This is to be the norm. Everyday life. Peace. As Jesus himself had said prior to, he went to the cross, my peace I give to you. He doesn't just say, peace I give to you. That would be wonderful. But he says, my peace I give to you. And he doesn't mean the peace that I own, as it were, and keep in a box for those who need it. But he's saying to what you're saying to them on that occasion in the upper room, it's the peace I have now that I give to you. And here he is, permanent peace. Paul prays, or Paul's, sorry, so he reminds the, the, the Philippians that the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep their minds and hearts. It is a challenging question, isn't it? Do we have the conscious peace of God? Is it in our hearts? This peace, of course, is very precious, isn't it? Because we know the price that was paid for us to have it. And we just sit or stand or whatever in the presence of the peace giver. And the best way of showing appreciation is to enjoy it. God says in the Old Testament to his people, and when God says, oh, our ears should prick up. And he says to Israel, Oh, that you had listened to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. And the thing about a river, 
It doesn't stop, does it? Peace like a river just keeps on coming. That's what he gave to them. We're not surprised that they were puzzled and startled by all this. They thought that they had saw a spirit there in verse 37. It looks so real, but how can it be him? And he gives them an invitation, doesn't he? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see. It's a kind of rebuke, isn't it? But what a loving rebuke. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? He's almost saying to them, isn't he? But he's saying to them with great sympathy. Your reaction is ridiculous. See, it's I myself. See my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. It's amazing to think they could touch Jesus. He doesn't doesn't say, look and see, but touch me. Whatever else we want to think about that, it means that Jesus, in his own way, likes close contact. And <clears throat> we're not told whether he did so or not, but he showed them his hands and his feet. And their response there in verse 41 while they still disbelieve for joy. Too good to be true. We say that, don't we, when the thing is true. And they're marveling. And then they watch him having a piece of fish. What does this say to us? We'll stop in a minute, but Surely he's saying to these disciples, the secret of having peace is to think about me. Is that not what Jesus is saying? The secret to having peace is to think about him. For some reason, Many Christians find that very hard to do. They can think about lots of other things. They can think about doctrines and they can think about historical experiences and they can think of lots of things. But peace comes from thinking about Jesus. Who he is, God and man, 
what he's done, went to the cross, lived a perfect life before that, all for sinners. What he's doing now? Well, what is he doing now? What is the one word that describes his activity in heaven? Intercession. It doesn't mean that he's stating petitions one after the other. It just means that he is there for us. And because he is there for us, we get everything that was purchased for us. So we're to think about Jesus. And we're to keep close to Jesus. How close can we be to Jesus? These um, disciples were obviously a, a foot or a couple of feet from him. Can we be closer than that? Are we closer to, is it possible for us to be closer to Jesus than these disciples were in that room? And the whole message of the Bible is, yes. Because as he himself said, he's going to send us another comforter who will be with us forever. And what all the comforter will do is take of the things of Christ and reveal them to us. And it means that we can have an even more peaceful relationship than these disciples had in that room. We could almost say that peace filled the room. But then we should also be able to say, shouldn't we, that peace can fill our hearts. How big is our hearts? Who can tell? The astonishing thing about it is our hearts can expand. And into our hearts we can have contact with Christ at the center of our being. So we're to keep close to him. And one more thing. The Jesus we keep close to, he's got wounds. There's no Jesus without wounds. He's been to the cross. The cross is the basis of our peace. And in the ages to come, he'll be the visible evidence that he's been there. But even now,
or to think about his wounds, his hands and his side. As he said to these disciples on this occasion. So that's Jesus' invitation, the way to get peace from the compassionate Savior. Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks 